0: gospel of John chapter 1. And so let me quickly recap before I read the text. Because we've been in this series on Advent looking at the word. Um, there's a few things we've looked at. One, looking at John's gospel. He talks about the word becoming flesh and how Jesus walks amongst us. That God's word lives with us now in the person and in the presence of Christ. And then week two we came back and we talked about how Jesus dwells with us and that the world dwelt with us and the tabernacle amongst us. That our lives is centered around the person and work of Jesus. And then last week Jim came and talked about God's glory, and how Jesus reveals the glory of the Father. But if you want to know what the Father is like, if you want to know what God is like, look to God the Son in Christ. And then today we talk about how Jesus is filled ultimately with grace and truth. And so that's what we're going to be looking at uh, this morning. And then in terms of our metaphor, our illustration today, we're looking at that of a wedding. And you may go, well, it's Christmas time. How come we're not talking about birth? Because tomorrow I've got to have a different message than today. And so today we're going to talk about a wedding. And you know how, where first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby Jesus in a baby carriage. So we'll talk, about, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. Today, we get to talk about um, more of a wedding. So let's pray, and I'm going to read the scripture for us this morning, and then we'll get into God's word. Father, we thank you that we can gather together this morning as your people. Um, we thank you, Lord, that we can gather together to hear about you. And for those in this room, Lord, who trust you and know you in saving ways, Lord, um, I pray that you would encourage us through your word and pointing us to Jesus. Um, to those who are here that, that have never trusted in you, or believed in you, God, that you would reveal yourself in Christ as you promised to be, full of grace and full of truth. But those two need not to be separated, but find themselves, Lord, fully and wholly met in the person of Christ. So God, I pray by the Holy Spirit today that you would illuminate your words, Lord, that we may worship Jesus, that, that Jesus Christ would be exalted through the cross and the resurrection and the sending of your spirit with your people. God, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of a wedding, I'm to talk about my wedding. I can talk about many of you guys that I've done, but uh, I was present at mine and not really that present at any of yours. So when, you, when, it, when it comes to, like, a wedding and you think about it, people usually get together, you know, they love each other, they get engaged and so forth. If you knew me before I met my wife, if you knew my wife before she met me, um, and you were friends of ours, what you would have said, as many of our friends did when we began to date each other, like, you're dating who? Right? Um, part of it was, I was like this really godly person. Holly was like wild, and uh, and, uh oh, sorry, I got those backwards. <laughs> um, and, and our friends would say like, wow, you guys, you're dating who? So my, my, my friend Manny at the time, he goes, he said to me, he goes, hey, so you're dating Holly veto, And I said, yeah, that's my, my boo thing. And, uh, and he said, uh, I knew you believed in God. Now I like, I know you believe in God. Like that was like, that was the existential moment for him of like, Jesus might actually be real because you guys were actually together. I mean, that's how different we were. But it seems, right, I say that to go, it seems like it's kind of the way God does is he takes two things that are seemingly different and brings them together as one. Now, when I say that we were different, not just black and white different, like Holly um, comes from a family that is great, um, and, but different than my family. Um, if we were, what we like to try to say is if we were taking a trip from from Phoenix to Tucson and we're in the car together. If we were with Holly's family, um, if the conversation would usually go, one person would talk um, and everybody would listen as that one person's talking, right? And, and then when that person was done, then another person may or may not respond and so forth. If there was a disagreement, you may, may have a conversation about the disagreement. Um, it would be tame and tempered and so forth. We disagree, we agree to disagree. Perfect, right? That's how the family works. And it's a good family and that's good, right? And I have to say that. One, because my mother-in-law listens to my sermons online and so, we have, then if you, if you take my family and that same trip, right, and we get in like, my side of the family and we're in the car together, one, there's way more people in the car together, right? We don't, we don't have seat belts for everybody, we may not even have car seats for everybody, but that's talk you know, just, just being honest. And so then, then, one person will talk, but you know what's unique about that? While that one person is talking, everybody else is talking, right? <laughs> And when there's a disagreement, you know there's a disagreement because everybody tells you there's disagreement. And we never come to a conclusion that somehow it's okay, right? Those are just different ways in which we do family. She's from Northern California where they get a hyphy. I'm from Southern California where it ain't nothing but a jeep thing. Right? So there's these differences. Her father told her, don't bring home anyone who's a Laker fan, a Raider fan, or a Dodger fan. And by the grace of God, I have all those qualities. And so there is just the bringing of like things together that happens when when God takes these two different people, two different things, and he brings it together. Now, throughout a wedding, um, especially a Christian wedding, what you're often gonna hear um, from the scriptures is um, let no man separate what God has brought together. Right, you'll hear that. These two, they're here together, they're gonna love each other. Somehow when the pastor does it, he gets Southern. They're gonna love each other. and what God has brought together, right? <laughs> let, let no man separate. Like, no, they're supposed to be one, and that's what God does. He takes heaven and earth, and he brings them together to be one. What we see in the gospel is he takes God and man, and he brings them together to be one. And then we get to the heart of the Christmas story, and the miracle of all miracles is that God becomes man. And he doesn't cease to become God. Not that man becomes God. God becomes man, and he's fully God, and he's fully man, and it's exactly what we need for the hope of the world. And what God has brought together, let no man separate. So, so what happens when the two people begin to love each other, there's a point where the, the, the man asks the woman to marry him. And, I, and, and maybe the woman could ask the man too, I ain't trying to, you know. Uh, so I asked Holly to marry me, and that was the worst proposal known to man. I'm not even going to repeat what I did, because it was that bad. I would never teach any of my kids this. I tried to fake a proposal, and then and then come back the next day. And, yeah, it was horrible. Um, yeah, everyone's like, "Oh, Hey, listen, listen. It was a mistake. Uh, then, you get, then you get engaged. In our culture, it was, a, it was a bad mistake. One day I'll tell you guys the story. Um, it, was, it, it, was, it was, now you get engaged, in our culture at least, now you do the um, save the date, right? You got to send out save the dates, right? Somehow the Lord said you have to send out save the dates. And so, you take a picture, and you get people, you pay somebody, the pictures of you and your, your spouse-to-be, and you're looking like what it would look like when you guys were actually married. And so, like, you're holding hands, and you're jumping in the air, or something like that. You're in places in, like, the wilderness, or in places that you've never been before, but somehow, like, that's what it's gonna be like when you get married. Um, the sunlight is in a perfect setting, and you're smiling, and you're happy, and you have this perfect marriage, because marriage is perfect. So you have that sense, and you send it out to everybody, and you say, this is what is to come, so make sure you save the date. Like, this is what is coming. Well, in a, in a lot of ways, what you begin to see in the Bible is that from Genesis all the way into the New Testament, there's this unfolding save the date of what God is going to do, right? And, and what happens is when you, when, you, when you get to the point where in, in marriage, you, the night before your wedding, at least in our culture, we have something called a rehearsal dinner, I never knew about this. So I got married. And so the rehearsal dinner is you rehearse the wedding, which is like, you gotta rehearse walking and repeating after the pastor. And so it's difficult stuff. And then afterwards you have like a dinner. And usually in this dinner, they're, they're, they're the broom, the broomsmaids, the broomsmaids, which is a totally different thing we did in our culture. Um, <laughs> that you have, you have the groomsmen and you have the bridesmaids, right? You got, you got them. And they get, they get together and they share stories. And they usually show stories like, so the guy, they talk about the guy, I'm like here's what he was like, here's what he used to be like. And they share a lot of stories that are funny. Some of the stories are sad. Sometimes they try to be funny and they come off as sad. Um, and, and if they're doing a good job, they don't just leave it as, that's how I know this person. At the very end of it, they say, and here's what it's like now that he's met her. Here's what she's like now that she's met him. There's a twinkle in her eye, you know, whatever they lie about, right? And so now they have, they, have this, they have this sense where it's completed now that you guys are together. So when you look at the Bible, you see that God starts something, and we break things up because of our sin. And yet God wants things to be back together. He desires for things to be whole. He desires for people to be one, families to be together, and there would be reconciliation and so forth. Should we so as it is, there's going to be this beautiful, beautiful picture of this oneness that happens. And we know that it's going to happen through the Messiah. We're not exactly sure who the Messiah is going to be. And so the rest of it is this save the day kind of moment, snapshots of what it's going to be like. It's hints of where it's going. Where you see, one, God's great hint of redemption that you begin to see in the Exodus story of which God, works through Moses to rescue his people out of the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt. There's this, there's this snapshot of saying, here's what is to come. You have a God who's a redeemer and a deliverer. And then you have this sense where God gives him his law and there's truth. And then he says, I want you to have this tabernacle, and this tabernacle will be where my presence will be. And so there's this hint of saying God desires to be with us, and not just as a part of our life, not in an addendum of our life, but it says his presence, as you see the tabernacle in the Old Testament, is, is set up in such a way that all the tribes are set up that at the center is God's presence, and he is enough for their life. And there's this a save the date. And then you say, God, we're going to upgrade this. And so now we have a temple, and the temple has this beautiful picture of a representation of God's holiness, the sacrificial, sacrificial, all right? And so you have the sacrificial services, the cleansing of blood, God's holiness, his glory, and so forth. There's all these hints of save the day, or which is coming, like what's happening, like what's moving forward. And you see that the gospel is moving forward to something. But just like at a wedding uh, dinner or rehearsal, you have the people that are speaking, they're saying but what's complete is when they're won. That those things, that the Bible talks about, were just shadows of what was to come, and what John begins to do, in some ways in this prologue here, is that John is speaking at the, at the rehearsal dinner and saying, let me retell you the story of what God has been doing, but let me complete it in Jesus let, let me show you everything that's been going and how it finds its fulfillment in Christ, he says this, chapter 1, verse 1 in the beginning was the word. Now, when he says in the beginning, if you're a Jewish man or woman, you hear that, in the beginning literally means in the beginning. See, many of us, we tell people when you're first Christian, you're a young Christian, hey, where should I read? We never say, hey, start at Ezekiel and then start, work your way from there. No, we usually say, for whatever reason, start at the Gospel of John as if this is where everything started. When you read John, John doesn't even start there. John starts at the very beginning. Like, he's, and, he's, and his, his audience, being a Jewish audience, Predominantly, here's in the beginning. He's retelling the story of what God has already been doing. But he's retelling it in such a way that it's found its completion in Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcoming. He says, in the beginning was the word. He's saying, in the beginning was God, and they're tracking this, this, this word. And when you think about words, words are usually people expressing themselves, their thoughts, or ideas. And what we have is the way God expresses himself in the gospel is not merely in thoughts or ideas, but in a person that God puts on flesh. And so the gospel is not thoughts or ideas or concepts. It is the very good news of God coming to us. says, the one that created is the one that's going to recreate. So as as John shares this, he's talking about retelling the story in light of creation, but understanding that there's recreation. Understanding that God created the world even in spite of our sin, that the same God who created is going to redeem the world in spite of our sin. That this God steps into this world and he brings light into the darkness. And then he jumped, jumped down to verse 14 with me. He begins to describe how the fulfillment of everything that they've known in their story finds its amen or its completion the twinkling of the eye, so to say, in the person of Christ. Verse 14, and the word became flesh, meaning God is not only this transcendent being, but he's imminent, he's present. That the truth about the gospel is not an abstract truth that floats around in the history of time, but actually walked into history that had flesh and lived and ate and drank and eventually died and bled and was raised from the dead, that we may have life. That God comes near to us, that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled, settled, had his presence here with us, left his presence with us now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we have seen his glory. Now, the glory was that in the temple. And I know Jim talked about this last week, and so we have an idea of that, that in the temple was the Shekinah glory, this brilliance and radiance of who God was. And then when the temple was torn down, when the people of God went into Exodus, there was this longing for a Messiah. That's what Advent's all about. Advent is reminding ourselves that the first advent was people longing for Jesus to come, longing for there to be a savior, longing for there to be a king, very political, one who would rule, one who would reign. And we now sit in between of the first advent that we know that that king is none other than God's son, Yeshua, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And we look longing now for the second coming, for his kingdom to be fully realized and fully established. That his presence would be him completely walking with us. That we may see God face to face. No need of a light because Jesus would be the light in which we need. That his glory would fill the entire world. It says that this Jesus becomes for us the glory. When they rebuilt the temple, when they got back from the, from the exile, there was no glory. But when they, they thought the glory would come back. And the glory came back years and years later in the manger when Jesus Christ was born into this world. That John witnessed this glory. And he says he's not only the word became flesh, he's not only dwelling with us, but we've now seen his glory, that we know what the Father is like because we've seen it in living and acting, breathing and eating, dying and being raised in Christ Jesus. And he says, Now this Jesus is everything in which we need, and in him he is filled with grace and truth. Now I want to pause there for a second. Because we're gonna look at we're gonna camp there for a moment. That he's full of grace and he's full of truth, right? That he takes these two things. And he puts them together as one. It does not say Jesus is 50% grace and 50% truth. He's truth for those of you guys who, who need it, and he's grace to those of you guys who need it. And he decides, like, oh, no, this is a grace person right here. Let me give you a little bit of grace. Can I get some grace? No, you got, you got too much grace. Let me give you some truth. You need some truth in your life, a little healthy dose of truth, right? No, no, no. He's full of grace, and he's full of truth. Um, what God has brought together, let no man separate Here's our, our issue. We separate grace, grace, and truth all the time, right? We have ministries and churches and even people who would identify themselves as truth people and grace people. And oftentimes what happens is the truth people say, we're truth, and those people, they say they're gracious and everything, but they don't keep it real, right? And then the people over here who are, who are, who are grace people are saying those people are not unloving, they're jerks, we're gracious, right? And they have these like dichotomies. And even as an individual, you find yourself kind of oscillating between the two, especially depending on your way, the way your walk with the Lord is. If you're someone who's constantly fumbling and stumbling in the same particular sense, you're like grace, grace, amazing grace, right? And if you're kind of a do-gooder and you're used to doing things the right way and, and so forth and you've kind of pulled yourself up by your spiritual bootstraps, if there's such a thing, um, then you're like truth, truth, and truth. And you can find it in the way that you say things, where people who find themselves as quote-unquote being grace people, they want to extend as much love and grace, no matter what the circumstances is, without even knowing all the details and the particulars and so forth. Like, hey, listen, but we gotta show, who am I? Who am I? Who am I to say this? Who am I? You never know. And it seems pretty humble, but a lot of ways it's because you're not bold enough to actually tell anybody the truth. Over here, we have truth people. These are the people who are constantly looking down their nose, and no one thinks they're a truth person until they say, I can't believe that he, I can't believe that she, no matter what you fill in the blank is, you can't believe it because somehow you believe you're in a position that you're in because of something you did. Instead of realizing you're only where you are because God's grace got you there. You should say, I can't believe I didn't do that. I'm telling you, the Lord must be present. So, so you, we, we have these, these, these dichotomies. And what, what we begin to see here is Jesus is full of them both. He doesn't say, um, today I'm going to be about grace. Tomorrow I'm going to be about truth. Sadly, we have people who even think in the Old Testament it was truth and the New Testament is grace. No, God has always been God. He's always existed. He's always been full of grace and full of truth. Now we have it given to us in which we can receive by faith in the person and work, life and death, and ascension and sending of the spirit of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, what does that begin to look like? So let's go back to this rehearsal dinner, all right? So when Holly and I uh, got married, you know, sometimes people will say, are you getting nervous when you get closer to your wedding? Are you getting nervous? Um, and I never got that because I'm like, what are you nervous about? You, like, you should be getting excited, you know what I'm saying? Things is about to go down, you know? So, uh, and people were like, no, but you do kind of get a little nervous because you're about to commit your life to one person for the rest of your life and so forth. What we were most nervous about was the rehearsal dinner. Um, our families had never met each other until the rehearsal dinner. Yeah, like, not like, oh, our extended family. Our moms and dads had never met, any, uh, met each other. First of all, my mom and my dad don't even get along, let alone my mom and my dad getting along with Holly's parents, who, by the way, are amazing, especially her mother. Uh, and, <laughs> and So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we, we're, and, and, and we just do things differently. So, um, so the rehearsal dinner, you know, as far as I was told, that it's on the groom to be able to take care of the rehearsal dinner. Holly's parents were doing the wedding and everything else, God bless them. And so my mom was like, we're going to take over the rehearsal dinner. She didn't say we're going to provide the rehearsal dinner. She said we're going to take over. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened, too. And so we had our rehearsal dinner at Redemption Gilbert, where we got married at, because at the time I was working there. And you may not know much about Redemption Gilbert, but Redemption Gilbert has never seen anything like this and never will ever again, right? <laughs> my family, my family rolls deep, and my uncle was like, listen, we're gonna do this, I'm gonna smoke some meat. And you gotta understand, like, I was like, well, I can get, I, perfect, I'll get a smoker out here, I can borrow from somebody. He goes, borrow somebody's smoker? You don't borrow people's smoker. He goes, no, no, I got a trailer, I'll bring my smoker out here from California. I gotta get out there a couple days a- earlier, and all of a sudden, if you were driving anywhere in the Southeast Valley, you saw, like, what sacrificial services might have been looking like, the smoke just coming in the air, right, right? And it, <laughs> the right kind of smoke, uh, not that Cali smoke, <laughs> so you have, you had, you, had, you had this sense, and the you know, family comes in, and it's like, I mean, it's just what you think. Like, my side of the family is right here, sitting down and talking with each other. Holly's side of the family, which is, by the way, a very small side, uh, they're sitting around the table talking. Everybody over here is getting it in loud everything. Everybody over here is just waiting and looking at the order of the service and so forth. And so there's there is this, this, this differences, and we're like, what is going to happen now? What we realize is what brought them together was us actually being one. There were people in this room, guys, this is not like a sermon illustration, this is fact. There were people in that room that would have never been in the same room on purpose with each other had not it been for me and Holly coming together. Um, That we became, when we became one, in many ways, our family was brought together. Um, Jesus is not calling us to be truth people, and he's not calling us to be grace people. He's calling us to follow him who is full of grace and full of truth. But, like, like, hear me on this, guys, because I, 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 the whole, like, I want to be just gracious, which we should be. Like, listen, I'm not going to come to the end of this sermon and go, just so you know, like, because, you know, people say, like, God loves you and so forth. And, like, I'm not going to come to the end of this sermon and go, listen, that's not true. God doesn't actually love you guys, right? No, he does love you guys. He loves us all. But sometimes we say, about, we talk about God's love in such an abstract way that it doesn't have any context or meaning to it. I was was sitting in line at a Starbucks years ago, and apparently the way I look or the way I looked that day or somehow, somebody didn't think I was a Christian, let alone a pastor. And so this person just, just, I don't know where Kenry was. hey, just, you know, Jesus loves you. And then just walked out. And I was, and I, you know what, I'm glad that Jesus loves me. I know that. I've known that. Like, I'm glad, I'm like, I'm like very glad that Jesus loves me, okay? But when it just said like that in some abstract way, it doesn't have any meaning. Like, what if I didn't know Jesus? Like, okay, Jesus loves me. Okay, all right, cool. I have no idea what that even means, right? It's just like a saying. So my my, my wife will talk about how sometimes, um, or this has happened before um, with some people at our church, but not not you guys, uh, and that she would be, let's just say she's at a place, a coffee place, and she's uh, there reading her Bible, praying, fasting, all of those things that she does, and somebody will come and say, hey, are you, are you Ricardo's wife? I mean, she'll say something like, well, Holly, but yeah, I'm married to Ricardo, yeah. And, um, and people will say things like, especially like young like girls, right? Like, oh, Ricardo, oh, I love Ricardo. And you know, and she wants to look at them like, oh, you love him. Okay. Because I'm married to him, I had his kids. You know, you think, oh, he's a funny guy. Duh, duh. Yeah, well, guess what, he's not always funny. Let me tell you what happens at the crib. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, and so, I love him, right? And so, when, 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 when she says, I love you, there's a context that makes sense. Like, she had to put up with some stuff to let, to, for her to love me. When it comes to God loving us, God had to do some stuff and put up with some stuff, endure some stuff to be able to express that love. And sometimes when we want to be quote unquote grace people, we want to talk about God's loving, He's great, and and almost like like He loves you so much and He doesn't ask anything of you. And that's not true. On the flip side, we have truth people and people who wanna make sure: hey, did you did you tell them about hell? Did you tell them about judgment? Did you tell them about wrath? But you tell them about obedience, you tell them about holiness, and many of the people, listen, I'm not going to tell you, hey, there's no wrath, there's no judgment, God doesn't care about holiness. He does! He does! But when it's one way to say, to combat grace, I have to get truth, then you're not really being truthful. To combat truth, I have to be really gracious, you're not really being that gracious. That if you, if you oscillate to one or the other, you're really not living in the hope of the gospel, John is not saying that the word became flesh and he's around us and he's with us and now that he's with us you get to decide truth or grace because it was never on us to decide to begin with God comes in this world as king and he says he's full of grace and he's full of truth we need both we need him and he's called us and invited us to actually participate in his life by faith and he's full of truth and he's full of grace and what God has brought together let not man or ministry or person or issues separate, amen? So they're, they're like, that, like that is the picture that we have is he's full of grace and he's full of truth. Now, what you say, what, what does that begin to look like in, in our lives? Well, one, we have to understand this. Um, you become what you worship. Like you do become what you, what you give yourself to, you become we don't try on our own to be truth people or grace people. We follow Jesus and accept him and live in the union which we have with him. And as we worship Jesus and look to him in all of his radiance and all of his glory, as he dwells with us by the Spirit, as we look to him in his word, then we, we follow Jesus. And as we follow Jesus as a people, we become people of discernment and wisdom, of truth and grace in our lives. We never separate them. They have to be there together because they're all in Christ. And the, he's the one who's our risen Lord and our risen Savior. Because here's, here's, here's the truth. If you only highlight and elevate God's truth at the expense of his love and his grace, when it comes to his holiness, when you look at the cross, it will crush you. It will crush you because you can never live up to it. There's not a man, there's not a woman in this room that can live up to the standard in which God has for us. There's not a person in this room that can do all that God has asked and demanded of us as his people. And so when we think about the cross, it crushes us. At best what we can do is begin to deny certain sins in our life as if God didn't care about them. But on the flip side, if you elevate God's grace and his love at the expense of his of his holiness, then the cross seems trivial. God loves you. Well, who cares? If there's no demand or verdict because of sin, if there's no judgment or penalty because of sin, if there's not a true right and wrong, if holiness is not a way in which we express an obedience of God, and then God doesn't necessarily say that there's eternal um, consequences that are severe and significant for those who don't believe in him, then why do we need the cross? And it just seems pointless, right? However, when you're walking in the gospel and you begin to see that Jesus is fully God and fully man and he's full of grace and full of truth, it becomes good news to the world. Because Jesus being fully man means something. That means now, in his body, he can take the consequences of our sin and that truth and justice can be executed upon Christ and not upon us. So now we may have Jesus as our death substitute. So he stands in the place where we never have to stand, or in a better word, he hangs in the place where we never have to be hung. And because he's fully God, he lives a life that's impeccable, that's sinless, without spot or blemish, that he becomes for us righteousness, perfection, and holiness, of which we could not do. So on the cross, he becomes a death substitute, but in his holiness being fully God, he becomes a life substitute. All that God demands is fulfilled now in Christ Jesus, and we receive this righteousness by faith. And so now we get and can understand we need him to be fully God. We need him to be fully man. And we're so thankful that he's full of grace and full of truth. He's the very thing in which I need and which you need and the rest of the world need. That's why it's joy to the world. And when God brings those things together, let no man separate. Amen? As a people, we follow Jesus. We worship Jesus. And in following him and receiving him by faith, in full obedience, empowered by the grace in which he gives us, motivated by the love that's been expressed in his work, his life, his death, and his resurrection, now we become people, ourselves, in Jesus, that are full of grace and full of truth. And when God brings that together in us, let no man separate it. Um Spoiler for tomorrow, today was a wedding. There's going to be a baby tomorrow. There's going to be a birth. I don't know if you've heard about it, um, if you haven't. 5 p.m. 11 p.m. tomorrow. Let's pray.